Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese on Flex in the City, and this is our first episode for 2021. So I think 2020 was a very, very challenging year for lots of us and also for financial services uh, leaders. But there were two key positives of 2020, and that was agility in the face of ambiguity and the power of teamwork. And so when at the end of 2020, I was recording a session for Neil Slater, who is the global head of real estate and deputy head of private markets for Standard Life Aberdeen. And we had some challenges with Wi-Fi, which was one of the things that also happened in 2020. I was delighted that David Mikalev, who is the chairman of FTS Global was able to step in and record this session. So please enjoy uh, this session with Neil Slater, who did a uh, fantastic interview with, with David. And we look forward to seeing you all for the future episodes of Flex in the City in 2021. Today in Flex in the City, we interview Neil Slater, Global Head of Real Estate and Deputy Head of Private Market Standard Life Aberdeen. From superior individual contributor, transforming to be a great leader of people. The growth, the learning, the next generation. It's all about people. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is um, Dave Mikalev um, for Flex in the City. And today I've got Neil Slater. Neil, hi, how are you today? Hi, Dave. Very well, thanks. Uh, pleasure to be here today. Great. For those of you that don't know Neil, Neil is the Global Head of Real Estate and Deputy Head of Private Markets. So quite a lot on your plate at the moment, I would have thought. <laughs> it's been a fairly busy year, Dave, that's for sure. No, I can imagine. Great. So as always, um, we normally, it's my, normally my colleague Rachel that does these interviews, um, but I'm standing in for her today. We'd like to know a lot about you, Neil, if that's all right. So who is Neil Slater? Perhaps you could um, start by just telling us um, a little bit about who you are and, and your background and, and how did you end up in asset management? Yeah, sure, Dave. Uh, well, actually, I started life as a lawyer originally, a finance lawyer. So I left university in uh, St. Andrews and trained as a lawyer in London. And uh, after a few years, got um, a little bit bored, I guess, of drafting documents late at night and started to take an interest in some of the asset management clients. Put myself through an MBA when I was working and um, ended up working for Man Group uh, out in Switzerland, which was really my first move into asset management. And from there, I got a lot of experience on the alternative side across debt, hedge funds, and real estate. And um, yeah, lo and behold, I'm still in the asset management industry quite a few years uh, later. Right. Very good. I mean, obviously, asset management, a bit like financial services, which is my own background, um, you get to see some quite interesting characters, some colourful, some inspiring, not so inspiring. I'm just curious, um, along your journey, who's been perhaps an inspiring leader for you and and, and why? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, actually. I've been really lucky when I've... Uh... You know, I've worked in different places, London, Zurich, Tokyo, and there's probably been three uh, really important people to me in, in those locations who I had a real connection with, people who managed and led me at that time, who gave me opportunity, who took the time to to give me feedback and took the time to really help me on my career. Right. And, you know, they're not famous people, but uh, they were people that meant a lot to me. And, and the reason that I mentioned them is because um, you know, when I look back and I think about my career, there are people that I look up to. There are people that um, that I think uh, were fun to work with, but they acted with integrity. They and they, they um, you know, they put their teams and represented their teams kind of first and foremost, and, and that meant a lot to me. 
Oh, interesting. So as, as you're talking, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a strong sense that your values are starting to come out a little bit. Integrity, a bit of fun, connection, um, authentic. Would I, would I be on the mark with that? You, you would. I mean, of course, yeah. I'm a serious Scotsman. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, absolutely. Those are really important to me, actually. Uh, and I, I think that integrity point, I mean, it's easy to talk about. It, it, it can mean a lot of different things, the word integrity. Mm. But mm-hmm. that, that, that is important to me, and, and uh, it's important that um, when I've seen that in, uh, in, in people I've worked for as well. Very good. So, so if, if integrity and connection and, and authenticity are strong values, um, what motivates you, Neil? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, I mean, you know, from, from my perspective, there's a couple of things. Uh, first and foremost, it's definitely working with great people, um, working in a team and working with not only great people, but but smart, uh, intellectually interesting people in an intellectually industry, uh, interesting industry. So first and foremost, that's one of the key things. Uh, I think the second thing from my side, apart from just the people uh, and and the broader industry, is the global connectivity that uh, exists within financial services. So, you know, I'm sitting here today in Edinburgh. I'm talking to you in Barcelona. Uh, you're in Barcelona. I was on a call uh, on Friday with someone in Tokyo and the you know our industry uh, is is crossed um, cross border. It's international in nature, and that is just fascinating. Mm. And obviously, you you mentioned before that you travelled a lot, right? So you spent time in Switzerland and Tokyo. I'm led to believe, and you said it earlier on um, that interconnectivity possibly wasn't there as much when you were there. But what what was it like? Um, was the global frame the same then as it was today? Obviously, technology's moved on. Yeah, I think, I mean, technology's changed a lot. Uh, I'd say a couple of things. Um, you know, when I uh, was in London, you know, fantastic city, uh, multicultural city. I was working with people from different jurisdictions. Uh, and it was the same in in, in Zurich. Um, you know, I was in a very, um, obviously, uh, Germanic part of Switzerland, uh, bearing in mm. mind at Zurich, but working in a team of People from all over uh, Europe, from South Africa, from Australia, from the US, from Asia, um, and that in itself was really interesting. I'd say Japan actually was um, perhaps the environment I, I was in was very broad in terms of cultural aspects and different people from different um, uh, countries, but it was also quite a. You were one of the few people um, who were not Japanese. And that was right. different from working in a London, perhaps, or a Zurich. And that in itself was, was quite interesting. Um, and as you said, the, the, the role in technology now compared to when I start, started in the industry also makes those connections uh, easier, not only to, um, uh, to have, but easier to sustain once you leave Japan or once you leave Switzerland, et cetera, through uh, you know, calls such as this. Very good. So, so adaptability has got to be also one of your strong features, right? Um, because I can imagine, you know, you, you literally went from one opposite to the other, a very direct style to um, a, a country where you need to read the air sometimes to actually uh, understand what's going on. So uh, fair, fair yes. play to you there. Yeah, very good. Um, I understand you've got a couple of kids, um, um, almost teenagers, if I'm, if I'm right. Um do they know what you do for a living? <laughs> do they understand what asset management is and financial services? So I mean, children are fascinating, as you know. They're inspiring. My kids are 10 and 12, and they're not at that age where they're beginning to ask more questions about, you know, what I do and, um, you know, what does it mean? And, um, you know, let's take just real estate as an example. 
uh, you know, what does it mean that you, you buy buildings and perhaps people, um, you know, have businesses in those buildings and they pay rent? Um, or, you know, uh, what what does it mean when you're uh, when you're talking about interest rates or you're talking about uh, time value of money? So they're getting a bit more of a sense of what I do. And I'm spending more time now than certainly, you know, ever before answering questions about, uh, you know, why did I do this? Or does that mean that mm. you are presenting on this today, Daddy? And that's that's fascinating. Um, what I would say, actually, what I'm I find really interesting is not just them asking me questions, but it's getting an insight onto or into how they interact as ten and twelve year olds with their friends, how they use their phones, how they think about life, what's important to them. Um, because to me, that sets the future trend of where financial services will have to follow in, in due course. So it's a kind of it, even at ten and twelve, it's a kind of two way street, which is uh, which is interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. They're giving you giving you a glimpse of the future clients of, of asset management, right? Absolutely. Um, and also Absolutely. also potentially talent that will go end up working in asset management as well. Um, yes. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I understand that in your career evolution, you started as a technician. Perhaps you can tell us about that in a second. Um, and ultimately, you you've now found yourself in a leadership role. Um, Listeners would be very interested, I think, to hear about your journey. How did you move from technician to man manager stroke leader of people? And more importantly, what do you think makes a great leader? Yeah, so let me talk about the journey, first of all. Mm. Because I, I, you know, it's something that I've reflected on a lot. And I remember very clearly at the time in, in going through that change from a technical let's say specialist, technical expert right. to more of a leader. Actually, it was quite stressful. Okay. And, you know, I was someone who uh, was all about knowing exactly what I was doing. I knew my stuff. I delivered. I more than delivered, you know, at times excelled. And that was your kind of, that was your mark of excellence because you were the, per- the go-to person. Uh, and um, and then you had these opportunities to step up a little bit. Maybe you'd find yourself managing some technical experts uh, and, and then ultimately what happened with me is that the business um, gave me an opportunity to move to Japan, to move to Tokyo. And they said, look, you know, things are going great on the technical side, but we think you could expand your horizons and learn some new skill sets and continue this journey. And I found myself being thrown into essentially the deep end, mm-hmm. starting a business from scratch, you know, having to recruit people, having to think about everything from you know, eventually, uh, you know, HR to finance to marketing to to sales, and um, and I and I realized through that process that um, leadership has and has a huge value, is hugely valuable, and until you make that leap, you think to yourself, well, I mean, what what would I do every day? What what would I be doing with all my time and I just need to listen to, I just need to be talking to people all the time because I've got things to do and things to deliver and things to learn. Yeah. But yeah, you go through this journey and you start to really understand the true value of leadership. And, and, and you asked at the beginning about what I think is important. And, and I think um, a couple of things. I, I think being a great listener is really important. Uh, so having an, and learning the patience to listen, if you don't have that. And I was never a patient person earlier mm-hmm. in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... Um, having that uh, capacity to, um, I talked about integrity and honesty, but having the, I think, the, the capacity to um, use that listening and, and use that uh, understanding of what all the signals you're picking up 
um, to then direct and think about future strategy and turn it into action and turn it into um, uh, inspiration and, and, and possibility for others is uh, is one of the key skills of, of a leader. Um, so, I, so that's kind of listening. I suppose I would uh, empathy with, with maybe the link there. And, and the last thing, uh, that kind of that passion and that energy is, is about, I think, about being futuristic and about utilizing all of that um, opportunity you have as a leader to, to culminate and being passionate and being futuristic and inspiring people to actually take a business forward. And, that, and that's been that's been the most enjoyable part for me has been that um, I, I've been really surprised by how much I've taken out from leading people, working with people, listening to people, as opposed to delivering on the technical side. And it's, it, it's amazed me in this journey. Mm, I love your use of words like passion and futuristic and, 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 it's just engaging. I can feel the energy when you when you when you're speaking there. And and I think what you're telling people, if I correct me if I'm wrong, is that you know when you're a technician, it's all about you, and 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 you hold yourself to high standards, and you and you push yourself technically to be the best, and as you say, the go-to person. And then at a certain point in your career, when you do make these sort of changes to man manager, you realise actually it's not about you anymore. It's about how you nurture the people around you and the team around you and develop them and grow them. And, and in reality, that's where you can actually get the most personal benefit back, um, ironically, from going through that exercise. So uh, so I think that's interesting for people to just reflect on as well. Um, great. Thank you. Um, you've talked about your own skills and, um, and, and what you think is important. Financial services has got still still has a mixed perception in the world right some people still think it's great particularly those that understand it uh, but your general public still see it as the bad guy and and you would argue that a lot of uh, new talent may be going elsewhere um not necessarily entering the sector um what do you think financial services and financial services leaders could do right now to try and make financial services more attractive to attract young talent to retain some of the talent that might be thinking of moving off into other sectors which um, may not be as tarnished reputation wise yeah i think this, this is a great question because i think it's one of the biggest challenges that we face in financial services is how do we um attract retain and sustain great talent uh, and um i see a lot of uh, younger people who come into the industry um that you know do a couple of years and then decide it's just not for them uh they decide to do something else or to your point those that just are not interested in the first place and i think for me one of the things that we have to do as an industry is get back to basics and um we need to we need to educate people and we need to talk with pride around what we do for society the role that financial services can play to help uh people's savings, to help pensions, to facilitate the financing of infrastructure, uh, to ensure um, good and sensible capital flows globally. And, and in doing that, we can do that in a way that also impacts the environment. We can do it in a way that invests uh, by doing the right thing for society. So I think we've got a wonderful opportunity um, to, if you like, tell a much better story, a story with clarity, with conviction, around what we can offer as an industry. I think one of the things that is a personal view, one of the things that I think is helping with that is the, the shift I've seen since I came into the industry around diversity and inclusion, around 
a much right. more openness within the industry mm-hmm. um, is giving us an opportunity to, to say that financial services isn't what it was 20 years ago, you know, where you come in and maybe you left your jacket on the back of your seat because you didn't want your boss to know that you'd gone home a bit earlier. Um, it's a different ballgame now. Um, but the one thing we need to do, again, I think, is to educate the world around what we do and what we can achieve as an industry and the impact we make. And I don't think we do enough of that. Yes, this is coming back to passion and purpose again, really, isn't it? Making sure that that the wider audience understand just how important financial services to the to the the whole ecosystem, right? I mean, as as you rightly identify, it's everything. It's pensions, it's savings, it's 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 essentially facilitating everybody's lives at the, at the fundamentals of it all, right? Where they live and and what money they have to pay for their their weddings or their car or their first house or their kids' education, whatever it is, you know, so um, to make them sustainable, make their lives sustainable. Absolutely. And the other thing I'd add, I mean, just going back to children for a minute, you know, I'm I'm amazed. If I think to when I was 10 or 12, I I did not have the knowledge that my children have now about um, environmental impact on things, around the choices they have. And I think as an industry, we would do well to remember that, that those people... Uh, who are already quite knowledgeable on, that, on these things at that age, in 10 years' time, will be coming into the marketplace and they'll be working out, do I go and work in tech? Do I go and work in medical? Do I go and work for the government? Do I go and do financial services? How can we persuade people who have a much greater understanding of the impact on some of the decisions that we make as an industry? How can we persuade them to come in and, as I say, not just attract them, uh, not just retain them, but also sustain them within within the industry. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned looking back at younger people. Um, imagine looking back at Neil Slater when he was in his mid-20s, right? <laughs> what would you say to him today about building his career? What advice would you give a 20-something-year-old Neil Slater? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. Um I think what I would say is, um, I'd say a couple of things. Um, first and foremost, absolutely go for it. Don't you, you know? Um, don't worry about making the wrong move. Don't worry about saying the wrong thing or asking the wrong question. Just go for it. Um, ask as many questions as you can. Take as many learning opportunities as you possibly can. Um, and if you feel at any point uh a lack of confidence about things don't worry about it that that, that will come uh you know um I, I if i think back to when i was younger I, I certainly was much less confident in front of more senior people uh i um you know maybe i was keen to learn keen to get on but it wasn't you know always clear to me exactly uh, the pathway i was going to take but you know going back to what i was saying earlier i think with you know with with hard work the desire to learn a questioning nature and then just go for it 110 miles an hour and and you've mm. got absolutely nothing to worry about um the great thing about our industry is that it's global in nature for people who are curious for people who are open-minded with a global mindset uh who are interested in different cultures interested in different landscapes interested in different outcomes this industry has got a heck of a lot to offer um and so my advice is just go for it yeah, very good. I mean, you certainly, certainly inspire me when when you you talk. I can I can feel the passion. So yeah, um, 
you mentioned Zurich and Japan, and we, we talked very briefly about the different approaches needed and being adaptable is probably an understatement. Um, what traits do you think really helped you to be successful in, in such um, unusual environments? What, what helped you to achieve, yeah. to achieve success in, in those places? Yeah, I, I would say I would say a couple of things. Um, in fact, really interesting because they were both at different times in my career. So when I went to Zurich, I was much younger. You know, I've just I just got engaged, um, uh, and um, I probably believed I was completely invincible. And and I was in an environment with a lot of other young professionals, similar background, similar age, um, and I think as I mentioned, from from different kind of Western countries. What was interesting about that was I was at that age where I just kind of went for it, but it, it was fascinating for me to, to 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 distinguish even within Western countries the real cultural differences, let's say between American, British, you know, direct Germanic versus slightly more reserved British, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, but in that part, for me, it was about just throwing myself into it, learning as much as possible, and enjoying the experience. I made some great friends and colleagues out of it, and had some wonderful bosses. Japan was really different because I was at a different stage of my career. I went out there to build a business from scratch. Um, I, you know, at the end of it, we had a business of about 50 odd people. I was only one of two uh, non-Japanese in the business. Right. And I, I had to probably be a lot more humble and, uh, and a lot more recognition that I did not understand the culture, that I needed to really listen that I couldn't read the signs in meeting rooms. Um, I got a bit better after four and a half years, but it's very mm. complex. Mm. And so you need to, it's a great learning experience to learn that, you know what, you don't know everything. And um, you need to learn to rely on other people. You need to really be much more culturally sensitive than you've ever had to be before. And and and, and so, it, so it was a, a much more challenging experience in a way, very tiring experience at times. Uh, and um, but but a, but a phenomenal phenomenal uh, learning experience uh, just around around people around cultures around how people approach different you know you know how they think about things in, in different ways just just phenomenal. We we know from um, some of the more progressive leaders that they're actually encouraging their senior management to to shift, and I think you've touched on it from know it all to learn it all and I think that's really what you've just summarized is um you've got to be ready to be humble and and to and to learn from those around you even if they're much more junior than you um so I think that's an important takeaway yeah it is absolutely it's one of the key takeaways for me on, on that journey and, and the other thing I'll add is I talked earlier about a younger me and, and advice I would give to people and, and and you know I was definitely thrown into circumstances in Japan where you know, if you told me 10 years ago, I would be speaking in front of 500 people at an embassy event, I would have thought, no chance. You know, I, I, I can't do that. Or you'd be, you know, meeting a senior dignitary in a government uh, um, uh, residence with uh, people from financial services, et cetera, to represent financial services. That type of thing, that, that confidence building journey was also part of that journey. So mm-hmm. learning mm-hmm. that you, you don't know everything at all and you're always learning. Uh, but also giving you the confidence to recognise that um, that you can do this. You know, you can yeah. you can lead and you can move forward. Yeah, explore the unknowns. You've, you've certainly got courage, Neil. I give you that. Um, you know, to, to go and try some of these things. You know, they they could they could have gone horribly wrong, right? But sometimes you just have to do it, don't you? And yeah. just trust in yourself. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, we talked a lot about 
you in the work environment but what do you do outside of work Neil I'm curious what what do you love what what what, what passions do you have outside of financial services yeah uh Thanks, Dave. Uh, look, from my side, I'm a very simple guy. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a creature of habit. I, uh, I'm a runner. Uh, I love to keep myself fit. That's really important to me mentally as well. So I do a lot of running. Um, but on the flip side of that, I love my food and I love my wine. Right. So uh, I, tend to, <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I tend to cook and drink wine to relax and I run to keep, uh, keep myself in shape so I can do the former. Uh, so those are my main, uh, my main passions. Very good. Very excellent. So so if if you like, I mean, I, I'll pick up on wine and food because obviously I love that myself, right? Having lived in Luxembourg and France and, and now uh, spending a lot of time in Spain. Who would be your favourite chef or sommelier or, or what's your favourite wine just out of curiosity? Yeah, so a uh, couple of things. Um, I don't so much have a favourite chef because, I, I mean, I just love... Uh, you know, uh, particularly living in, in Japan and Zurich, as you appreciate with Luxembourg, a lot of mm. recent star restaurants. I've been very lucky to try different types of food. But one person that stuck out for me was um, a chef called Yannick Eleno, who uh, at, at the time we went to a lovely restaurant at uh, Le Maurice in Paris where I, where I got engaged. That's why it was very memorable. Okay. And he, yeah. he became a very famous chef and, you know, it was fantastic. And, um, and, and uh, wines, I uh, have a passion actually for... Uh, aged uh, Rieslings and uh, aged Champagne are the, are the two things. I, I love all types of wine from all types of regions. Right. Um, but, but those are the two things I, I quite like to uh, get my hands on if I can. So Riesling and Champagne. Why those in particular? I'm a bit, I'm a bit, I'm a bit surprised because most people would say a great Bordeaux or a, a really good Burgundy wine, for example. What, what makes you say Riesling, for example? It's, it's somewhat understated, right? It is. It is, absolutely. And it's one of these grapes that can really... Um, you know, it's one of these grapes that can age for many years in the bottle. It can go really silent and quiet for a couple of years, and then it can really come alive. Uh, and um, and then you open it up, and it's just a really beautiful, long uh, wine at the end of it. It, it can be. I mean, and when we lived in Zurich, we used to visit Alsace, and I've been to Australia and had some uh, had some down there as well. As you say, it's very understated. It can be, mm. you know, beautiful and gorgeous wine, uh, but a lot of people don't think of it, particularly the edge stuff. Right. So, so just hold that theme. What could financial services learn from a great bottle of Riesling, do you think? <laughs> so I think, uh, what have I said about Riesling? You know, it's, um, it can last many years. It can, you know, go through periods of sleepiness and extreme excitement. Um, but through the thick and thin of just lying there for decades, it delivers. And I think actually what financial services can learn is that you don't have to be a famous Bordeaux. You don't have to be a Petrus or a Mutter Rothschild all the time. Actually, um, you can be a Riesling that, uh, let's say, perhaps, uh, you know, under promises and over delivers. And uh, I think that's probably a good message for financial services. Brilliant. Very good. So, Neil, listen, I, I, I thank you ever so much for bearing with me. And um, I found it fascinating. Certainly, I'm inspired. And um, I think I'm probably going to go off and try a reasoning myself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Really thank you. Pleasure. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.